Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We welcome you back to the Wits End podcast, and we're very grateful to have you along for the ride. I'm Jonathan Marshall. Uh, I'm pastor in Toledo, Ohio, Hope Baptist Church. Brother George? I'm George Antonio. I pastor Hope Baptist Church in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And uh, I don't want to be superfluous with that. I mean, I guess people probably know who we are. And, you know, we have, we're not very professional yet. We're going to get there one day, George. I feel like it's just a moment's, uh, like a hair's breadth away. Well, we have the introductory drum roll. That's, doesn't (laughs) that that kind of put us in the professional category? (laughs) I feel like it does. Um, I mean, I think they probably have a few more tweaks we could make, but. Yeah. But, uh. I'm just looking at myself in, in, in the video, and I wonder, does the video even help anybody? But it is nice to be able to see uh, yeah. your reactions, and uh, so that's that with that. Okay, are you ready to jump in? I'm ready. Okay, uh, well, quick word. My wife and your wife are going to try to be on the next episode. Mm-hmm. So this week didn't work yeah, out. That's going to be something. <laughs> Should we uh, duck out and get some coffee while they talk? I'm going to have fun. (laughs) Yes. Well, I know my wife is uh, very nervous about it. And, you know, it's one of those things where, oh, no, no, I shouldn't. No, I shouldn't. Oh, let me have the mic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Sonny's like that too, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So, oh, man, alive. All I can say is this. The Lord... Uh, really wanted to call those women to, into the gospel preaching ministry, but he uh, instead he decided to couple them with two men, and uh, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, Brother George, why don't you introduce uh, our topic for today, our passage? Well, we're about to finish chapter 1, and we're in verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Wonderful. Okay, I've got to stop one thing. And I can hear my mom talking in my back, in my my mind saying it's there's no um h sound now you have to correct me and and teach me on the word h e r b was isn't that aren't they both accepted i i I think that i thought that might be your answer because the uk always has a little different um you have to look it up and let me know by the way that's my mom too she can be pretty pedantic when it comes to <laughs> speech. Oh, it's great. Uh, it's great. Um, my mom was not really about speech that, that much. She was not like, this is the way things are or should be, but in other areas for sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, her, anyhow. See, Oxford, Oxford language. Here you go. I'm playing the audio. I'll raise it up there. Herb. Yeah, let me hear you. What is it? Herb. 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 That's a, that sounds... Herb. That's really weird for me to say herb. Uh, really? Yeah. So what is... You guys say Does herb? it have that... Yeah. Does that have that herb. pronunciation? Uh, well, it's saying herb. That's the uh, the definitions from the Oxford languages. Okay. And it, it's it got sounds an audio. Like, 
it sounds like that person, whoever is saying that, is trying to make a point oh, about the pronunciation. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Middle English, via Old French from Latin, herba. Now, in, fr in, La in French, we wouldn't say the H. It's a silent H, herb. <clears throat> Grass, green crops, herb. Although H-E-R-B has always been spelled with an H, pronunciation without it was usual until the 19th century and is still standard in the U.S. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So some of us say oibs if you're from Brooklyn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got some herbs. <laughs> it's some oibs. I, uh, or like the um, three the three stooges. Yeah. yeah I'm going to go down and buy some oibs. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, it's a little, little humor for you there. Well, it's, all, but it's also funny for me that uh, I heard an English guy uh, kind of making fun of Americans for making fun of how the British speak. English, mm -hmm. and he's like, "You're the ones with the accent. <laughs> We're literally the English. We speak the king's English." <laughs> I, I, and that brings up. I do want to bring up one one uh, that brings up another thought. And forgive me. I want to stay structured, George. We talked about this. <laughs> um, it's what do you think about? You know, I, I love the 1828 dictionary, but that was intended really to uh, by Noah Webster. It was intended to americanize english yes. and really to pull together uh american culture and so i'm wondering what you think about that because my thought is this king james bible okay it was created it was produced right. rather translated in england what are your thoughts <laughs> on that yeah it's funny you ask that because uh, someone called me yesterday with a, with a couple of questions and that particular question came up about the 1828 I think the, the kind of special status, almost sacred status it enjoys amongst us, amongst the like, you know, King James Bible believers, um, A, is due to the fact that you're in the States, it's an American dictionary, so there's that. B, it was at a time, done at a time, Noah Webster was a Christian as far as I can tell and what I've read on him. I've, mm -hmm. I've actually read a book about how Webster put together the dictionary. Um, <clears throat> but I forgot the title of the book now. Um he was a Christian, and what's nice in it is that he references Bible verses when giving definitions. So now in the minds of most people, they think, well, if you want to understand the connotation of the English word as it is in the King James Bible, which was written in the 17th century, the 19th century is pretty close to it. And so you'll see the connotation that the particular word had in 1828, and that will give you an idea of the connotation that the King James Bible translators had in mind 200 years earlier. But 200 years had passed between the King James and the writing of the Webster Dictionary, plus uh, it was on a different continent now. If, if, if for people who are listening out there, if you really want to know the connotation that the King James Bible translators had in mind, you can use the Online Etymology Dictionary. Uh, online. Online Etymology Dictionary, OED. And what is nice about that is it, it gives you the connotation of the word historically. So it runs through. So it'll tell you, like, in the 14th century, it had this connotation. And in the 15th century, it had this connotation. And all you got to do is you got to check what the connotation of the word was in the 15th century, uh, uh, 16th century, so the 1500s, which is the age of the King James Bible translators. And you'll have an idea of what they may have had in mind when they chose those particular English words to translate the original language texts. Um, can you give me that website again? Are you talking about Edom Online? Uh, etymology on uh, the online etymology dictionary online etymology dictionary oed are you, you know, oed is oxford english dictionary 
Okay, so just type in the full uh, online etymology dictionary. I as a web, as a page. Chat. It's a. Uh, I'm looking. It's at etymonline.com. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Okay. So that's right. the one that I use. I, I I misheard that. Yes. Um, and is that connected with? I don't know who it says, but I I use that all the time. Yeah. Um, you, you know something else I did was uh I looked up there's this there's this uh early modern English dictionary 16th to 18th centuries uh lexilogos.com let's check that and out. it's it's basically got uh something there's one from 1604 uh 1617 there's the uh John Kersey that's 1708 1730 1737, and then they have the big one, which was Samuel Johnson, the Dictionary of the English Language, the big kahuna. Yeah. Um, You've got Lexilogos in English? Uh, yeah. I've got it in French. Let's see. It go, exists go in English? Oh, look at that. Forward. I didn't even yeah. know we had it in English, because I've used it in French. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I use it uh, because you can actually see the pages of those dictionaries. Like You know, it's like Google Books or whatever. Hmm. But it has... Um, it actually on there has the has William Shakespeare complete works, the Age of Shakespeare, Elizabethan literature, and then the Bible in English, sixteen eleven. So it's it's pretty cool. Very nice. See, so for people uh, wondering why that would help, uh, you know, Acts thirteen forty eight, for example, as many as were ordained to eternal life believed, and then you'll see how the connotation of the word ordained was just predisposed or set or arrayed or ranged or prepared in the fifteenth mm -hmm. century. And didn't have the theological connotation of a Calvinistic uh, pre-eternal decree of God unto salvation. So it can be helpful to understand and, and what, the, <laughs> what the people had in mind at the time. Um, and, and sometimes people will make uh, they will make comments like, "Yeah, that." I'm trying to think of the exact example. If I could think of it, you would you would understand it immediately. But they make they make comparisons or parallels to words that do not have that do not share the same origin the mm -hmm. same etymology and so it really helps like i'll give you an example one of them i really would like to be true but i can't i, I can't <laughs> really make it is the word prove and the word proverbs or proverb i really want it to be the same word but i don't think that it is it it shares the same prefix mm. uh pro but proverb proverb is uh, a word set forth like, mm -hmm. this is a. I'm setting forth this important yeah. word, right? Like a, a like a um, a proven saying, but it's not the same word as proven. Because I was want, I wanted to be able to say proverbs is something that has been proven. So proven. it's a proverb because, in some ways, that is true, but that's just kind of a nitpicky thing. Um, but it saved me in some in some cases, and I've I've shared this one before. I'll share it one more time. Uh, it really helped me understand doubt is that it is the same word um, in the same family as the word double, D-O-U-B. And so wow. doubt is two different thoughts. Huh, imagine and, that. Um, See? Mm -hmm, a double-minded man. Yeah. And, and, and I know what I found is, you know, people, all, people always talk, you know, when they're preaching here, the Greek word is this, the Greek word is that. And I imagine there's probably some help in, in those areas sometimes, but the problem is, what does it do? It pushes you towards a completely different word and a completely different Bible, really, in, in one sense, because it's a different language. You don't understand it. Um, 
as opposed to saying, I'm going to push you towards the language that you, the text that you have right in front of you. That's what I love about the etymological study of the Bible. Um, it keeps you right there. If it really is the word of God, then it helps you to explore the riches a little bit more. That's, that's a good point. Um, I'm kind of, soon I'm going to make a video, Lord willing, on uh, Council Might about uh, the, our claim as King James Bible believers that the, uh, that the King James Bible translators were, were kind of led of the Holy Spirit as they were making their choice of words. I've heard for years that uh, this is kind of like a, an anti a non-Christian heresy, that it's a modern kind of a perversion of the view of inspiration. And then and lo and behold, I've just, uh, I'm almost done with it, man. That thing has taken me, where is that thing? St. Augustine's, uh, Augustine's City of God. It's one of the most mm -hmm. boring books I ever had to, to read. I'm almost done with that. Oh, you, you would a make break. a terrible Calvinist. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, I'm going to be addressing that too. But he's got, you should see how he talks about the uh, Septuagint. Uh, because the Septuagint uh, in, in, uh, in Latin varied from... Uh, uh, in Greek, I forgive me, uh, the Septuagint Greek varied from the Hebrew text. And so they had the Hebrew text in their days. And then they had the Septuagint, but it varied in the readings. And then he basically constantly says many times over, the Holy Spirit led the Septuagint translators. Uh, and basically what they're giving there is uh, an extra kind of like revelation on top of the Hebrew text. And Augustine is saying that in the 4th and 5th century. Hmm. And nobody considers him, well, few people, I should say, in Christian academia <laughs> consider him a heretic. <laughs> you know? No, he's... And, and, and he's it, was like, a... it was like common currency kind of argument that he's offering. Really? Yeah. Wow. Nothing new under That's the sun. A... Man. No. And, and, and actually, that is uh, very common today. The Holy Spirit told me, or no one said that. They'll say, in Baptist circles, God told me. God told me to do this, and God told me to do that. And... Uh, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that. So anyhow, I got you sidetracked on this. Um, however you pronounce the word, H-E-R-B, herb, <laughs> herb, whatever it might be. That's not the point, but I think that was a good rabbit trail. Um, okay, so the Lord says, I have given you, and, and, and something to keep to point out, of course, you probably already know this, everyone, but uh, the why pronouns are plural and the t pronouns are singular so why meaning you he's talking to male and female i have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat so where do you want to jump off there in that verse i i actually don't have much on that but i know there is much on in there just like the study of the seed and all the kind of cross-references we can make about the Word of God being a seed and, and uh, creation going on. But I think you've made those points, if I'm not mistaken, before. Yeah. Um, so I'll defer to you on that. Uh, the only thing I would, two things I was thinking of, one is that God originally intended, apparently, for man to be vegetarian as yes. opposed to eating flesh. And when he says to you it shall be for meat, that word is referring to food. Correct. including flesh, but now, uh, post-fall, and, and then yeah. plants. So we think of meat as flesh, you know, but, but that's uh, the Bible word for meat includes 
all food that you would put in your mouth. Right. If you're having a salad, that's meat. <clears throat> yeah. That's, um, you know, something else I don't know, I've wondered about this here too, is everything is deathless because sin hasn't entered into the world. Nature fell because of the fall of Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had that conversation with a brother of mine uh, in the Christ, John McClellan. If the, if it's deathless and what is the process? So the fruits, like the trees aren't dying and the leaves aren't dying. Uh, corruption is a result of sin. So the fruits that are growing on the trees are not corrupting. What happens to them if they're not uh, picked? How do they fall on the earth and corrupt and decay and die and the seed get absorbed into the earth to produce another tree? So th- there's that whole mechanism. is must Life must have, not just man, the man's body, but the entire mechanism of life, the under, the synergy and that, that whole ecosystem must have been completely uh, reworked after the mm-hmm. fall. And it's really hard to go back and imagine how this could have worked without any death anywhere in anything. Well, there, the, it, it, to me, there seems to be a clue after the fall when the Lord cursed the woman. And it he said... I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And, you know, we we would think, well, the Lord told us to be fruitful and multiply. And yes, that that is true. But did he intend for it to be a constant rhythm, uh, constantly, you know, always being able to conceive? And I think when he... It greatly increases the conception. Um, it is more op, like you said. It's it's the whole cycle of of death and rebirth, cycle of life that we now see. You know, the spring, summer, fall, and winter. But that spring, summer, and fall and winter represents the constant cycle and rhythm of death and rebirth of a plant, of a tree. Um, and I wonder if if this great conception greater conception multiplied conception would also have applied to the plants so in other words i'm thinking okay so who all is eating this fruit all over the world is what's happening to it it's just tons and tons and tons of fruit on one tree there's no there's no curse and so it's it's just continuing to bloom and it's sitting there um but maybe there was not quite as much uh at that time i don't know it's just a thought Hey, but uh, but uh, the dilemma still stands because it just kicks the can further down. It just with more time, we would we would still end up with the same problem. Yeah. Well, it it's true. It, yeah, I see what you're saying, but maybe the concept of coming to fruition, um, the idea of growing from a seedling. Well, there it is. If the the herb in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. You're right. And uh, so, yeah. You know what? Forget this podcast. Let's just go on to something else. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's well, that's why we do it. It gets you thinking. You know, actually, <laughs> you just while you were talking, when you quoted Genesis three sixteen, multiplying the conception, uh, I realized that I've had a bad argument for one of my quote unquote positions, um, and I've had to undo it. So. You undid, I undid your argument right in the middle yes, of this? Yes, one of them, yes, you did. Oh, no. 
Yeah. Um, Bad okay, argument. So, Gone. Okay, Next. but here's here's another thing. You've got all of the animals and man are only eating herbs of the field. Mm-hmm. They're not eating other. So you've got all these animals that would normally in our culture would be killed, and now they're not being killed. All and right. those animals are eating fruit and grass. Right. And then, yeah. And then what? And then they have what to digest you... it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then they have to, like, it's not coming, is it coming out as dung? Or maybe the dung, I, you know, I like what a, I, I got a, a brother in the Lord, Dominic Mathieu, uh, uh, um, he's an old friend of mine at church. He said, he got a revelation. And I believe him, man. He said, you know what? I got a revelation. He says, before the fall, the skunks produced perfume. And then after the fall, after the curse, that stench became, you know, odious. But he says before it was perfume. And he says, I think in the millennial kingdom, when they spray, they'll spray perfume. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was brilliant. That's one of the greatest nuggets I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) That is a great nugget. Um, Yeah, because the the reason, you know, the, the, the stated reason seems to be right that a skunk would spray is for predators. And if the skunk has right. no predators, then it has no reason to spray that disgusting smell. Right. Everything in there, um, it's everything is six. So you also see, by the way, I mean, God uh, is infinite energy. He's got infinite resource, and yet he's not a waster. Right? Wasting in the book in the book of Proverbs is, is actually a sinful thing. So he he creates a closed system that where things are recycled and and reused now without decay i can't imagine it maybe maybe the dung did look and smell very good and acted as an instant fertilizer i don't know if that was even needful but definitely everything there's a synergy between all those systems at work it's beautiful it's beautifully designed i just can't imagine how it worked Mm -hmm. yeah and i've heard people say um atheists mocking and i'm sure you have as well that uh, you know why would why would god design the body the way that he has and i won't repeat what they said but basically critiquing um the way that god presented that uh, or the, that god put the body together and but at the same time scientists endeavor to do the same thing it's called economy of design or efficiency they're trying to create the tightest system the, with the least amount of parts that can be the most efficient sure and and God has already done that in the human. Um, and, and what are they critiquing uh, exactly about the human body? Well, I, <clears throat> basically saying you know the. Well, it's probably just it's just not appropriate to say, especially for young listeners. But the idea is that that the the, the placement, like, why would God put this waste um, production facility and locate it, you know, in that place, and in in proximity to other important functions of the body and and it's like that only only a stupid engineer would design it in that way um so it'd be like having the you know the entertainment capital or the entertainment section is located right next to the the you know the waste facility. i'm enjoying watching you do this that's pretty good that's i don't i don't that's, you know listen i'm not on the stand here george what are you what are you trying to do to me 
<laughs> this is a this is a G rated podcast. It is absolutely, and it's a so shall remain. But okay, they I, <laughs> G for godly. So, so yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things I say is that that mere criticism is an inherent uh, admission that it was designed. Um, if you're critiquing the designer. That's true. So so you've got that. And then B, you're always, whether I agree with them or not, because you can disagree. I'm sure there's a lot of engineers that would disagree. Engineers fight all the time about designs. You know, we imagine that only the social science sciences involve disagreement amongst scholars and that the hard sciences do not. But you you pick a team of 12 engineers together and ask them to design an airplane with specific parameters and they're going to fight. Mm-hmm. So... You know, you've got one guy who's crit- criticizing the biological engineering of the body. Another guy would say that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Plus, I would say uh, <clears throat> that they're, they're criticizing the body as it is post-fall. We don't know what it was like pre-fall. I mean, uh, so. Yeah, and, and my thought. Kind of a moot point. I, I agree with that. I mean, it, it was actually, it was actually uh, I should backtrack. It was not um, a scientist saying this. It was a comedian. And, oh. you know, com- comedians with a microphone are the smartest people in the world. Sure. So as long as you can get someone to laugh, that means you're right. Right, right. And uh, which, of course, has been in some ways the bane of our culture, of our Western culture, because that that's the only reason why LGBT uh, community ever took off into the quote-unquote mainstream mm-hmm. is because they got people to laugh about it in the sitcoms. Through comedy, that's exactly right, <laughs> yeah. I think I think it was Mark Twain. If I'm wrong, please someone please correct me eventually. But that he said the laughter is the strongest weapon against God. Hmm. Which is interesting because he that says heavens shall laugh and he will have the last laugh. But that's coming. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So anyhow, that that was the that's a great point that you mentioned about the uh, the disagreement among among scholars or among engineers, and and my thought was the economy of design is is a major. Uh, form versus function right and the the ability to have a tight system that is uh quote unquote mm. um uh what it's self it's autonomous so to speak or i can't think of the right word but it's it's self-replicating um it's all combined within one unit it contained mm-hmm. right the mm-hmm. ability to, to be able to take i mean we take our drinking water we drink water that came from the waste um facilities Right, uh, wastewater facilities, and they treat it, and it's 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 kind of like what God does with the rainfall and you know evaporation, and so forth, condensation, and so that was that 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 it just goes to show you, mankind, if he can, he will say something, and and I would encourage you, listener, um, there's two things: one, don't be don't be too afraid of hearing anything that pushes back, but also be ready to to inoculate yourself to a certain degree. Because if all mm. you feed on is people making fun of God, it's too much for your system to assimilate. It's like eating junk food. Mm. It, it will do a lot of harm to you. But if it, the things that you've learned, the things that I've learned, George, um, have uh, many of the things have been uh, heresies or falsities that people have stated, and then that puts you on a path to discover. And once you know that, you know it, and you never forget it. Because right. it, it challenges you. It's like... Um, you know the wound that you receive, the 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 bump you received as a child. You know, chipping your tooth or whatever. Mm-hmm. You never forget that stuff. Indeed, we were just talking about yesterday at church about that uh, y- younger generation having to fight their own battles with God. 
to find them. And uh, that's part of it. Um, I think the, the, the design there is brilliant. The seed is one of the most fascinating things in the world. It, it, it's an amazing thing. I heard somebody just say, I had never thought of this. He says, we don't know till this day how the seed in the ground knows to, to send out the roots downward and send the stem and the branches upward. I mean, you take it for granted that the seed knows how to do that. But, but there's a design there. There's uh, sensors in that seed that will sense the temperature and the humidity. And that's why it will sprout at a certain season and will not sprout at a previous season. And then Paul goes on to talk about the seed, you know, giving forth a tree as an illustration of uh, the resurrection. It's an amazing thing that you can get, like, you guys have the redwood forest, I think, in California, like the tallest trees in the world, and that starts as a little seed. Hmm. And then it's a self-replicating system. I mean, it's God really is, is a brilliant engineer in everything he does. All the coding that goes into the strings, I wonder... I'm not a I'm not a coding engineer, but I would love to have or hear somebody's analysis of if you can take like the genome of a, of a seed and like string it out and see how much information can be contained in that little thing, like the proverbial mustard seed that the Lord speaks about, how small it is and how it produces a large tree. It's just I find it fascinating. Well, as you're talking about that and the seed going into the ground, I thought about what the Lord said in John 12, where he said, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. That's right. Uh, that's the seed, the, the kernel. And so here we see in in Genesis chapter 1 that within the seed, or within the fruit is, uh, is the, uh, what does it say? Every herb bearing seed, uh, in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. Yielding seed. And so... In post uh, post fall, you have multiplication connected with death. Pre fall, you had multiplication without death, just as in the humans, right. you have in the seed, uh, right. in the plants, and how God now connects that multiplication with death and with sorrow, mm -hmm. right? In in the case of the woman, uh, and we say that about the woman that she goes to the jaws of death in order to bring forth a child. And, yes. um, and so it's that it's connected that pain and sorrow. And I'm kind of preaching a message to myself that multiplication is going to require a death, a death to self mm. and a yielding to the Lord, um, which I'm not terribly interested in, but it seems to be I the only you. way. Yeah. Christ himself to be really fruitful. He had to die. <clears throat> and then come out of the ground in, in glory and then produce the body of Christ, which is so much bigger than his own physical body that he had. So, um, and, and that's exactly what he said in John 12. He said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified, except a corn of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And he that loveth his life shall lose it. And so there it is right there. Um, discipleship and multiplying disciples comes through death and jesus christ himself is typified as a corn of wheat as a seed the seed of wheat going into the ground mm -hmm. uh i wonder what uh you know i i love steak and meat and barbecues um so i thank god that even despite the curse this stuff stays, still tastes good but i wonder if we if we didn't have that taste because i mean what are, i'm not a big fan of fruits 
and vegetables. I mean, I eat them because they're healthy. I've learned to like them a little bit more. My wife is a great cook. She hates it when I say that because she she feels like I oversell her, but she really is. <laughs> so she's made salads, man. That I'm like, man, I can't believe the salad tastes like this. You know, kind of kind of revelation moment. But still, I can't Im- <laughs> I can't imagine just living on a on a diet of fruits and vegetables. But I'm sure they tasted amazing. Mm-hmm. They, 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 those things must have tasted like, you know, whatever fruits, uh, maybe a lot of them have gone extinct now, but whatever were there that we know today, like grapes, well, put the grape aside for a second, but like apples and figs or whatever, those things must have tasted um, incredible. Uh, myself coming from the Middle East, here yeah, we often have fruits that have been ripened by UV lights. Mm-hmm. And we we all t- always talk about like how they they have they don't really have a taste that you can distinguish, mm-hmm. and then you go down to like one of the countries uh, native to the fruit where it hasn't been modified necessarily, and man, it's just full of taste and it's delicious. Um, I I, t- I, I guess uh, are you do you know are you you're not a vegan or a fruitarian or anything like that? No. Do you know anybody? No, I am. Um... No one by choice. Um, I think I know people who have, for dietary reasons, have done that, um, right, avoided. Okay. But I don't know anyone actually. I don't. I don't know anyone that's strictly vegan. That's like no animal uh, whatsoever. So th- I'm pr- I'm pretty sure this would have been a vegetarian thing, not vegan. What do you think? I mean, they still ate eggs, or no? Because that's life. Maybe they were yeah. vegan. I don't know. I, I didn't know until a, a couple of years ago there was a difference between vegetarian and vegan. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, Nothing that comes of animals. Yeah, and, and some people say, well, you know, this is the diet that we should be on, and I think it was the diet that God originally intended. Sure. But, but then I would say, uh, I do have a question for you in regards to the future. Do you think that we go back to a, a diet that is vegetarian-vegan? Uh, after the millennium yeah not during yeah because in the millennium you still have sacrifices but yeah everything kind of uh full comes full circle so yes i do and you know i understand Rester Roloff, as i'm sure you know he used to preach on he required everybody i think on in his ministry to be that who was under him <clears throat> yeah they were vegetarian um, they were they were not uh vegan they were not but, vegan okay yeah that's post fall as you said mm-hmm yeah, because Jesus himself, you know, cooked them fish. Uh, right. The disciples at the beach there, you know. Good point. Took took fish. part of the Passover ordinance mm-hmm. of God, which is lamb. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm you know, I'm thankful it tastes good, man. But <laughs> y- you do feel like, I, you know, all jokes aside, you do feel like it's a sad thing for something to die for you to eat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I hunt with a bow. I've, I've done it. So I grew up hunting birds. That's the culture in, in Lebanon. Uh, we've literally hunted everything out to extinction. But mm. you do feel, so I'm okay with it, and uh, I don't have the Bambi complex, but you do feel there's something said. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is not the way it's supposed to be. It is the way it is, and you have to accept it. And people who fight against it with uh, with a religious zeal, almost they're usually out of the will of God. There's something bizarre there going on where they... It's like a, a self-righteous virtue signaling thing going on. So they mm-hmm. can judge you about it. Uh, but all that aside, you know, if I imagine if I take my, my kids with me, my, my daughters with me, and I shoot that boar with an arrow, 
and they see it dying, you know, that you feel the sorrow. Like this is, it has to be, but something went wrong. It's kind of like the death of Christ. It had to take place. Hmm. You know, we need to eat of his flesh to live, but it only had to take place because something went wrong. Mm-hmm. Death is death is not the uh, the plan of God. No. Um, since by man came death. And what's interesting to me is, just like what you're saying, God can take something that's horrible and make something beautiful out of it. So every, you know, I love steak. Um, I, I love uh, uh, chicken shawarma, you know. Nice. Stuff like that. And I, I don't know if that's, is that Lebanese? Like, yeah. that's big time? Well, uh, sh- Turkish, Ottoman, Middle Eastern, Lebanese, yeah. Tawuk? Yeah. Also. Yeah. So those types of things I, I love, I enjoy it, but you're right, um, that's that something had to sacrifice, and I think that God intended for it to be uh, a painful thing. I mean, how many funerals have we been to? How many mm-hmm. deathbeds have we been to where everyone understands this, we say this, it's part of life, and it's not part of life at all. Correct. It's the opposite of life. But everybody Correct. understands that it it just happens. But right. why are why are people sad when someone dies? Exactly. Everyone knows it's coming. Everyone knows it will come for us. Why are we sad? It's because God never intended it to be. A hundred percent. I've I've preached it a bunch of times. There's we've um, <clears throat> the evolutionists have convinced the world that it's it is not only the way it is. It's almost normative that it has to be that way. It ought to be that way. Even the religious books, to my surprise, there may be one. I'm, I mean, I've read a few. So again, if if I'm wrong on this, somebody correct me. But from the ones I've read, like the Quran and the Vedas and par- parts of them at least, uh, there isn't even the notion in them that death was some kind of judgment. They all just take it for granted that this is the way the deities or the deities set things up. <clears throat> um, and that, to me, is indicative of a non-divine revelation it's just somebody looking at the way things are and saying well taking it for granted that's how they were always and that they were normatively so and then trying to put an interpretation on them the bible is the only book as far as i know again that comes in and says death is not part of the plan and we were all originally immortal i think pandora's box no that's diseases that explains diseases but there was still death if i'm not mistaken so one of the reasons i believe in the bible is because that it's not just written by men is that whoever you have to concede this whatever you think of the bible whoever wrote it could rise above mentally conceptually could rise above the state of things and and make the argument that it wasn't always so even though you see this is the case originally we were immortal so just that is makes it whether you agree with it or not sets it on a completely different uh, category of literature than than all the other religious literature. It is not, if, if, if it's part of evolution, as you said, why do we feel this tearing of our being and the deepest sorrow at the death of someone? We feel it in our hearts and spirits. Something is terribly, terribly wrong with this. Mm-hmm. You don't feel it at the birth. I mean, if death is just as natural at the birth, why do we experience joy at birth and sorrow at death? We should be experiencing joy at both. Hmm. Interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that. Hmm. That uh, joy, joy at death. 
because an evolutionist would say, you are simply here to pass on the DNA to the next generation. That is your purpose. Uh, from a cold, calculated standpoint, that's the only thing that you did physically while you were here, is you passed on the DNA, because great works of art, um, experiences, all those things are not changing the species. And so I'm just passing on the species. I'm just pushing it forward. So anyhow. Okay. Well, I, I can, I can take that and work with it. Where is that? Why is there a purpose? Why is that a purpose? Why is nature, why did nature get geared towards optimizing and favoring survival to begin with? So, see a lot of, uh, one of the, uh, when we present the, the argument for morality to the atheist or atheist friends, one of the arguments for the existence of God is without, without a notion of God uh, and transcendent divine authority, then everything is relative and you don't have anything that, is, that is, can be qualified as good or bad. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So nothing is good or evil. And then what they'll answer is, well, uh, we can derive morality from that which is more conducive for the survival of a species. But then that, but then again, that kicks the, the 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 can down the road. Why is survival of the species a good thing, a qualitatively good thing? Maybe the extinction of the species. Don't we today? There's a lot of people today that consider the extinction of the human species a good thing for the earth because we are destroying the earth. So you can never get away from extinction, not extension. Extinction, correct. Okay. Thank you. Yes. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Extinction. Yeah. So. Um, there's I couldn't understand the, what you were saying. Yeah, I'm sorry. So the only way the 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 atheist argument borrows from the universe of God, and 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 kind of steals principles that are exclusive to the presence of God. If there is no God, then there is nothing normatively good. There's nothing that ought to be that should be. There's nothing good, including survival of the species. I mean, Would you go so far as to say that there are no oughts? Correct. That in other words, there's nothing that ought to be. Right. Well, this is the way things should be. Says who? Why? What, what, what's wrong if we all die? In fact, if everything dies, we go back to uh, the original state. We, we return to a state of stability. So, I mean, you can make an argument for, for a, a, a normative argument for the destruction of all life everywhere. You know, they put it in the movies, like in the Avenger... Uh, the bad guy, the purple bad guy, there, Thanos. He, he says it's good for the universe that half the people die. I'm, I'm just, I'm helping out. <laughs> so it's, you know. Well, and isn't that what the uh, eugenists said as well? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but they, but even there, in a worldview, it doesn't make sense. We want to like, we want to take out the 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 uh, the unhealthy and and the mentally incapacitated and the sodomites. Why? Why would you? Why, why? Why is it wrong to contaminate the gene pool? Why is it wrong to weaken it and then eventually lead to the extinction of the species? Why is that normatively wrong? What's wrong with that? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Right. There is no right or wrong here at all. If, right. if we all died overnight, it's not a tragedy. You know, it's it, it it's interesting um, how lies, the devil's lies, they get repackaged and recycled, and. And he uses them again because they work. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from what? Free from lies. And Amen. the ability to That's to good. live yeah, in yeah. the light. And I was just watching this. Uh, I never watched the show before, so I thought I'm going to try one. 
And I think, where was it? Where was it? Um, I guess, I guess that was the show. It was called All in the Family from 1972, I think. Um, and, you know, Meathead and, and, uh, I can't remember the rest of the, of the uh, characters, but it's basically, um, a father and mother. Now some, if you're an older listener, you know what I'm talking about. Father and mother and the daughter and their, and her husband who lives with them. And so he's like this revolutionary socialist, you know, uh, commie lover. And the daughter is like trying to keep the peace. The, the dad just says whatever he wants to say. And, um, he's, he's pictured as a bad guy, but in, in this, in the first show, the first one, she's, she's, they, he says something, the son-in-law says something derogatory about God. Like he doesn't believe in God. And, and then she says, yeah, daddy. She's like, there's just, you know, there's just not enough evidence. We just don't see any evidence of God anywhere. And I'm thinking, man, this was 1972. Uh, and it, it was coming, you know, coming out of the sixties, of course, and it was considered normal. But, uh, and, and then something else I saw where it's like, there are, there are no absolutes. There are no absolutes. And if you're listening today and you, you, you probably don't realize it. I know I don't realize it. You are believing some lie. It, it, it's something that you're, brain has just locked into and you consider it true and until it's challenged by the word of god you'll never be free from it um and god is very kind in letting us um go along and exist and and learn at our own pace so to speak uh you'll never be able to root out all of the junk from your mind because you have that old nature but uh you can every time you come into conflict with something you can yield to the truth of the bible and God can bring it out. So like this whole, I was thinking of you talking about, um, basically the evolutionist, atheist, whatever they're borrowing from the truth of, of society to say, we, we have this truth from Western society, uh, and it's derived from the Bible. It's derived from God, from right. that whole foundation, but we can borrow from it in order to critique, critique to Western critique culture. It. Yeah. And people do the same with the Bible. They borrow from the Bible to critique the Bible. But once you know, once you know the truth, you can say, okay, like what you're saying is, no, we're not going to let any ideology have any free ride whatsoever by saying, yeah, you can just hop along and yeah, this is what ought to be. No, you don't get any oughts. You don't get any, this is the way things should be. Because once you say there is no God means there's no authority, which means I'm just as much in charge as you are. And you can say, you're here for the, uh, ex, ex, you know, you ought, the, ex, the species ought to be extinct or the species ought to continue. Says who? I can make up my own choice. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Why was Hitler, Stalin, or Mao, or Pol Pot, or Franco wrong? I mean, on what basis do you judge them if there is no God? Um, I want to, ch- let's see if I can share my screen. Yeah, we tried that last time. This is only mm-hmm. for the people, I guess, on YouTube can see that. But uh, one of the things that struck me, Having read other works, uh, let's see here. I want a window and this here. Can you see that? Yes. Um, Not yet. I see black, but it's coming in. There it is. I love it. Okay. So is it legible to you? Is it uh, big enough for you to read? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Not quite big enough to read, but. No. Can I? I wonder if I. 
go down to your screen. There you go. I can see bigger. Yep. Okay, so I have to zoom uh, zoom in on in Word. Is that better like that? Much better. Okay. So this is not all the other literature, but one of the things that uh, got me interested, because when I was reading uh, <clears throat> uh, my Quran, which sounds odd to say, uh, this the, the it's it's religious from its opening chapter. And it, and it struck me, and, and I you know, had read some things by Ruckman too, but it struck me how non-religious the opening chapters of the Bible are. I mean, you go to a library and the Bible is uh, categorized along with other quote-unquote religious books, right? But just to get a sense of how matter-of-fact and non-religious the Bible is, I checked in the Rig Veda. This is the Hindu, this is the opening, Okay. So I'm going to I'm going to read just a couple of passages from there so people get a sense of how other religious works open up. So this is in Hindu uh, Hinduism and they've got a whole bunch of texts, okay? But in the Rig Veda it starts with I loud Agni the chosen priest, God minister of sacrifice, the Hota Hotar, lavishest of wealth, worthy is Agni to be praised by living as by ancient seers. He shall bring hitherward the gods. Through Agni man obtaineth wealth, yea, plenty, waxing day by day, most rich in heroes, glorious Agni, the perfect sacrifice, which thou encompassest about, verily goeth to the gods. May Agni, sapient-minded priest, truthful, most gloriously great, the god come hither with the gods, whatever blessing, Agni, thou wilt grant unto thy worshipper. So all the worship and mention of sacrifices and uh, wealth. So they're praising the god for bestowing on man wealth in exchange for worship. In Islam... This is the the, uh, the shortest Islam. The chapters are uh, ordered from shortest to longest, and the opening it's called Al-Fatiha. It's literally called the opening, and this is read at every death. But here's how the Quran opens up: 600 written in the seventh century A.D. In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. Praise be to God, Lord of the worldlings, the compassionate, the merciful, Master of Judgment Day. You we worship. There's that religion again, uh, and of you we seek help. Guide us to the straight path, the path of those whom you have favored, not of those who have incurred your wrath, nor of those who have gone astray, meaning the Jews and the Christians. So again, opening chapter of the Quran, it's a religious thematic and it's a condemnation of religious of Jews and Christians, validly so from the very beginning. And then lastly, in Buddhism, uh, the Brahmajala, it opens up with, on one occasion, the exalted one was traveling along the highway between Rajagaha and Nalanda, together with a great company of bhikkhus, uh, disciples, with about 500 bhikkhus. At the same time, the wanderer Supiya was also traveling along the highway between Rajagada and Nalanda, together with his pupil, the youth Brahmadatta. Along the way, the wanderer Supiya spoke in many ways in dispraise of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. But his pupil, the youth Brahma, Brahmadatta, spoke in many ways in praise of the Buddha, uh, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Thus, these two, teacher and pupil, followed closely behind the exalted one and the company of bhikkhus making assertions in direct contradiction to each other. <laughs> That's true. All right. So now you got a sense of Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam. And then you compare that with Moses writing, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light that was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. I mean, look at how, even if you disagree uh, with the Bible, um, 
the fact that it at least the the bible attempts to explain the origin of the world and there's nothing religious there it's just giving you an explanation of the origin of the world and it's matter-of-factly so there's nothing about worship there's nothing about these people are right these people are wrong there's nothing philosophical like in buddhism to me that's max of authenticity mm-hmm. I, well you know i just fascinating find that fascinating the contrast that's really interesting um really interesting i i think that one of the things that the devil has done immediately he clouds the issue uh there's something that you do not know and you can only know if you follow what i say and the truth is on the other hand god said this is the truth very simple and it was mankind's actions that clouded it not god that was trying to hide from man it was because of what man did that he's hidden and, and when you look at these other texts, you can see how there's a lot of fluff, especially in, in, in right. Hinduism. Right, well said, yeah. A lot fluff of, is the word, yeah. Um, uh, pomp and circumstance. Like, this is, what you're about to hear is really, really, really important. Um, and this this is important, and you're going to really learn something because it's important, and you're going to love it because this is Wow. And with God, it's it's almost monosyllabic, it seems. It's like boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. That's all it is. And uh, because God God intends, you know, the more that you know about truth, um, the more you realize how simple it is. It's actually very simple. There's someone said there's truth and then complexity and then truth again. And the truth on the other side of complexity is is God. I mean, it's God on either side. But some people get in, they, they see some truth, and then they find, oh, wait, no, truth is not so simple. There's all kinds of differing beliefs. There's different ways of looking at it, perspectives. Yeah, you're still stuck in that um, complexity area. But God is above all of that, and it's very true. Uh, it's, it, it's very simple, rather. Truth is, God's in charge, God has spoken, and he wants you to obey him. But the complexity of our lives causes us to say yeah but yeah but and it's exactly what the devil was saying to to eve yay hath god said it's not a statement of man god is so good god is wonderful it's a statement saying there's something else out there something else not quite enough okay well george we've taken a quite a detour here from the herb bearing seed. I think it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, but we probably should finish up chapter one here so we can yeah. have a fresh start. Well, we the get, good thing uh, is... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. As we get into the next chapter. Yeah, it was kind of a detour, but uh, we discussed you know, that which is good, the concept of good and evil, and that's uh, the Bible does finish uh, chapter one with, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So and it was planned. morning. Or the six days. See, there you go. Um, mm. So the that's the the Bible from the beginning emphasizes God's goodness mm. uh, in creation from the very beginning. Uh, it, it would it would stand to, to reason that a book written by God not only would be a matter of facts um, statements about creation, but also emphasizing that those things were done for the good uh, of the of His creation because uh, God is love. Because then you can ask the question: Why is God creating? He's complete in himself, but the Bible also says that God is love. So 
there is, I think, fundamentally something in God's nature that requires something else to bestow that love upon. And, uh, you know, he phased out, he phases out into the Trinity uh, at the dawn of creation. But there was a, and, you know, we can go back in time too. We we're talking about the creation of the angels. He bestowed his love on them and then he bestows his love uh, on human beings. Uh, but from right from the beginning, you've got this idea of, of uh, good. And I, how thankful we can be that we have a good God and we have a good creation. Again, keep in mind that what you see now, the floods and the disasters and people dying, that's a result of the curse. But uh, even post-fall earth retains a lot of God's goodness, uh, things that the Lord Jesus Christ alludes to in the psalmist, including the sunshine and the rain and the fruitful seasons, as Paul talks about. And there is no good without God. Hmm. There is, I lost, um, lost you for yeah, a second there. Oh, okay. I saw a, uh, this is kind of a back in line with what we were discussing earlier, but I saw a, a kind of a, a debate um, in a university setting uh, between a lady who's married, it's, she's the wife of uh, Steven Pinker, and they're, they're both, um, they're both, you know, scientists. Uh, and it was between her and Jordan Peterson and William Lane Craig, who's a Christian philosopher. And of course, she's arguing the side of atheism. And then um, at one point, uh, William Lane Craig, he's, he quotes uh, something for her because she's making the argument that there can be good without God. There could be something that can be defined as good. You can have morality without God, essentially. So he quote, he just starts with a quote. He doesn't tell her who it is. And then he, he reads this. He says, so now he's quoting a, the scientist, the, the expert. So a biological understanding of the moral sense does not entail that people are calculating maximizers of their genes or self-interest. But where does it leave the concept of morality itself? Here is the worry in the scientific community. The scientific outlook has taught us that some parts of our subjective experience are products of our biological makeup and have no objective counterpart in the world. The qualitative difference between red and green, the tastiness of fruit and foulness of carry-on, the scariness of heights and prettiness of flowers are design features of our common nervous system. And if our species had evolved in a different ecosystem, or if it were missing a few genes, our reactions could go the other way to those things. Now, if the distinction between right and wrong is also a product of brain wiring, why should we believe it is any more real than the distinction between red and green? And if it is just a collection, collective hallucination, how could we argue that evils like genocide and slavery are wrong for everyone rather than just distasteful, distasteful to us? And then he tells her that that quote is by Steven Pinker from The Moral Instinct, who happens to be her husband. So, and he, he kind of, she had a hard time recovering from that <laughs> for, a couple of, for a couple of seconds. But it, it's, it's, I mean, they're saying it. So this is somebody from the atheistic scientific community saying, we are facing a quandary, which is this. If we say that the reason why we are averse to decay, we are attracted by colors, which is evolutionists are all constantly talking like that, that, you know, the the reason we have certain uh, nervous tics, the reason we react psychologically in some ways to some things, the reason why our bodies react biologically to some stimuli is because it has some kind of survival value and take away the survival value, then we would react 
differently to those stimuli, whatever they may be. And he's saying, well, that reasoning also applies to any sense of morality. The only reason why we think that genocide is wrong is because we were something happened that programmed us that way, but it's entirely subjective to our experience. And we could have been in a world where we would have evolved to perceive death as a morally good thing. There and that's why. So even the, the the atheists themselves are saying we don't know what the there is no moral compass without God. Now they're they're struggling very hard to find one, uh, but they can only do that but by by stealing from the universe of God, as it were, and and bringing it in. Hmm. And you think about the uh, this the concept of survival of the fittest. Wouldn't genocide be the appropriate action taken if it meant good against you or me? Um, well, I'm not going to die, but if it's true that only I'm, I'm only responsible for the propagation of DNA, what if you're a better specimen for right. propagating DNA, then I should be, well, okay, I'm going to give myself up so you can live. And, um, but that devalues life itself. True. It's like, so suddenly I'm not even a person. I don't have any value. Um, I am just, I'm like a flower. Flower has no consciousness correct and uh you know your tree is not aware of itself being a tree and so that's basically what you have to become because why why do i even need to exist there are plenty of other people seven billion people to propagate the species um i'm not necessary and just suffice it to say all these thoughts um death and the multiplicity through death all these things are a result of the fall they were not God's intention. God, if you think about yourself as being insignificant, unimportant, um, the, 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 the philosophical term for it is nihilism, mm -hmm. basically nothingism. And there, nothing is important. Why do I even exist? Well, part of that, um, part of the reason why you may feel that way is because you don't have to work for your food and you don't have to you know, work to do much of anything. You can, you can survive in an air conditioned environment without doing anything. Um, people who have to work for a living, people who have to work to get the basic necessities are not sitting around wondering if the steaming hamburger in front of them is real. <laughs> I borrowed that line from, from, they uh, don't have that luxury. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. 10 books. Is screwed up the world. Philosophizing. Yeah. Um, so it could just be that, but, but, at the end of the day, the devil is interested in anything that keeps you from God and your flesh, because of the fall, it now has a, an in, a built-in radio that is automatically tuned to accept the, the devil's broadcasts. And so mm -hmm. you're going to hear that stuff and you're going to resonate with it. And the devil, all he has to do is just a, you know, one time give you that thought and it can be in there forever and uh, for the rest of your life. So you have to be real careful to guard your spirit. If you go back and read Genesis 1, you're going to see God created it all. He said it was very good. Amen. Very good. So if you could remove, remove, and I'll give you, I'll give you a thought experiment to help you. You know, uh, maybe you're, you're at the point in your life where you're thinking, yeah, death, destruction, nihilism. Um, and I don't mean to be too dark, but, but just that's where a lot of people can get. Um, think about this. Can you think of anything that could make your life better? No. Some people would say, no, there's nothing I can think of that would make my life better. I've tried everything, you know, Song of Solomon, or I'm sorry, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, vanity, all is vanity. Well, 
here's here's something to think about. Um, could you make your life worse? Could you make things worse in your life? So right now you're sitting there. What if you were to take a, <laughs> you know, your head and just bang it against the wall for an hour? Would that make your life worse? You know, take a, th- a hammer and hit your thumb with it. Would that make your life worse? Um, the reason why I say that is because people can generally think of ways that their life could be worse, but we have a hard time thinking sometimes about how our life could be better and, and how we really are blessed by God, how God has been a very, very kind to us. Uh, there's some things in your life, just like the scientists take things for granted in making their attacks against God. We do the same thing. Um, we take the breath, we take the, the oxygen in our lungs, we take the, the beat of our heart, and we accuse the very God that's keeping those things going. And we don't take, we don't thank him for that. We take it for granted and stand on the platform that he made and say, God, you're not enough. And no, when God well did said. it, when God did it, he said, well said, it's good. It's very good. Your life right now, as bad as it is, um, because of God, there is the possibility of good. And I would say even the inherency of good because of God in your life. Seven times, um, seven times uh, things are described as good in the Bible. They're pronounced good, which is the number of perfection. The seventh time is actually very good. Mm. You know, um, some somebody's. you may be wondering if you're going through a hard time, you know, why am I even in this? I didn't ask, you know, God didn't ask me before creating me. I didn't want to have a part of this at all to begin with. But then again, you weren't there for him to ask you, were you? So he would have to, he would have to create you to ask you to begin with. So uh, one of, uh, maybe we can discuss it more under the fall of man, but that particular argument, by the way, about I didn't want to be part of this and suffer the consequence of this fallen world, it would have been fine for me to be in that perfect world, but not in this fallen world. Uh, of course, you'll it's in the fallen world that we really get to know the goodness of our God. Mm-hmm. If, 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 if nothing ever went wrong, we would never know just how deeply he loves us. We would never know that he would sacrifice himself for us. Um, we would never know of sacrifice, not only between us and God, we would never know, we would never have the bonds of love and friendship that are forged between people who suffer together and love each other. You know, those are the, the, the sweetest, most precious kinds of bonds. So it's unfortunate that it has to be, but there it is. The Lord has redeemed this fallen world and brought, br- he's going to bring out a world that is even better than a world that would have never fallen mm. and safer. Uh, and the other thing I would say is if, um, if you're saying, you know, I never asked to be part of this, um, it's because of Adam's fall that I'm here and I'm stuck in this, uh, world of suffering the answer to that is in romans 5 god god balances things out in the following manner you can say i never did anything like i didn't choose to be born a fallen son of adam and a fallen daughter of adam and inherit this mess well likewise you don't have to do anything to be redeemed out of it because of adam someone else you fell because of the last adam someone else you get redeemed so the Lord balances things out that just just as it wasn't your fault, quote unquote, that you fell, it's also not your fault, quote unquote, that you get redeemed. Hmm. It was somebody else caused your fall. Well, somebody else is going to cause your your redemption. Also, 
And in that balanced equation, the Lord will have given you a choice because he tells you, okay, you can, you can choose now for free to get redeemed out of this world and out of the bondage of sin by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you now, you wanted, you want me to give, to ask you to give you the choice between life and death. You are being given to it when you're presented with the gospel. You're, you're being given the choice. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, a practical thing is to remember you're not you can make your life a lot worse okay you could do that you could you could take your life um you could end it all and uh, the devil is the devil is deceiver and he's a liar and he's a murderer from the beginning um and you can know for sure that those thoughts are not good here's something practical to think about okay you think you don't have a choice could I tell you, the seventh time God said it was very good, and when was that? That was after a, six days of creation, six days of producing, of making something. God made, God made, God spoke uh, over and over again. God was doing something. Why? He didn't have to. He didn't have to make anything. No one could force him to create the world, but he decided to do it, and it was after that. How could you? How could God add anything good in that sense? It's not like God became more God, but God Himself, mm. perfect and self-sufficient, is adding something of value. He is making something mm. good that was not there, and so maybe your life is a graveyard of buried hopes, and you feel like there, there's no, there's no hope. Okay, maybe there's not any hope, but maybe there's something you can do right now. You can, you can go and be a blessing to someone else. Uh, all the blessings of mankind were because God decided to create the world in six days. All the enjoyment and fun that any human has ever had is because God decided to do something. And maybe you can take a clue from that. I was just talking with a lady who, um, she lost her, her brother this week. She's uh, uh, in a senior citizen. And she lost her brother, and she's living on her own, and she's lost a lot of family members, and she had COVID. And then she told me, you know, she said, I go out, you know, she says, I'm feeling pretty good. She said, but when I'm feeling down, I get out and work in the yard. She said, I like to do something. And that has, that has a way of changing your perspective when you realize that there is something that you can do to affect change. God took a chaotic world, and he brought order to it. And you can do the same thing. Well, Brother George, this has been great. Yeah, that that's exactly the, that final note. What you said is exactly what was running through my mind as you're the, the, you're discoursing on that. I'm thinking, so where do we like where do we find ourselves at the end of chapter one? We've gone through it. We saw that there was an original creation. Something terrible happened, and I can see now more why it's not mentioned. What the tragedy was because the Lord wants it to be applicable to all the lives that would read Genesis chapter 1. I mean, here's the opening chapter of the Bible. There is a creation that we don't know much about. That is exactly our situation today, where, but in relation to Genesis 1 and the pre-fall world. You know that there was a perfect world once. Then the Bible tells you that there was a, a fall of Lucifer, and here we are after the fall of Adam. And then what do you read on? 
you read on that God, through a lengthened process, restored and redeemed the effects of the tragedy and came out, he brought things out on the other side of that tragedy as good, yea, as very good, with man as his crowning jewel in fellowship with him. So mm. the opening chapter of the Bible is this. There was something good once, it got ruined, but God now takes his time to redeem that ruin and crown it with man. And so that's the opening message of the Bible. Mm. It's, it opens with that. So here you are, <clears throat> you had a good once, you've fallen, it's, there's a tragedy. The Lord can do the same thing that he has done in Genesis chapter 1 in your life. Only this time it's a process that will take some time. I mean, six days are a, uh, a spending of time. So if you let the Lord work out what he's trying to do in your life, mm. at the very end, you will find yourself at the end of Genesis chapter 1 where he crowns you with glory and honor. And behold, everything is very good and you are in perfect fellowship with God. Hmm. Opening chapter of the Bible. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And and the truth is that is the path of every human. Um, Correct. Job, you know, he said, behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, on the left hand where he doth work, but right. I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come shall forth come as gold. Forth. gold. God Amen. is, he is doing a work in your life. I love what he says. My foot, uh, my foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment from of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more, more than, than my, my necessary, necessary food. food. Mm. There it is, brother. Yeah. That's what we need. That's the human experience right there. It's creation. It's an amazing thing, eh? the balance in this thing. <laughs> he tells you how it started and simultaneously relates it to your life experience mm. and, 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 and works in hope. So you've got an explanation. You've got like a, an explanation of the beginning, uh, the origins of, of uh, you know, biogenesis, if you will, which is like very academic. But then he's also showing you a pattern of your life and giving you hope that he can restore it. It's, it's both, it's both a, a scientific discourse and a message of hope simultaneously. I, it's just, just <laughs> blows you away, man. You, you awesome. can't you can't study that book enough. No, and so you think about writing your story, listener. You're you're writing a story, and and it's like, well, why does it even matter? Well, the reason why it matters is because you're thinking about why it matters. You you have an hey, opportunity man. to do something with this life that's so bogging you down. What are you gonna do? In a sense. It's not choose your own adventure. It's choose his adventure even when he's not there, when you don't see him. Um, and how do you do that? You go without food, but you don't go without the Bible. You don't change what he taught you when you're in the fog. You look down at your feet, and you keep putting one foot in front of the other and hold on to his steps, as difficult as it might be, because God's not finished. He's not finished. I mean, if you were to think about Genesis 1, what good could possibly come after that? Genesis 1, 1. What good could come? The earth was at Genesis 1, 2, rather. The earth was out form and void. What could possibly good, good could come from that? Well, you don't know, but the Lord does. And he can bring, he can bring a new thing 
out of an old thing. He can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing. He he, he has the power to do it. And uh, God is working. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Brother George, this has been fun. It has. I've, I've some of the stuff never seen before. It's amazing when you zoom out there and look at Genesis 1 like that. Yeah, that's really this good. This book really I, is of God. It, it is. It is. Um, so, listener, we're, we're not going to bog you down anymore. I hope you've had a great time. We have as well. And we talked about it before we got on. This this podcast is really just an encouragement to, to both of us, and we desire to, to be a help to you if we can. But if not, it certainly is a help to me. And so I'm glad, too, <laughs> glad to join you, Brother George. Me too. Anything you want to say at the end? No. Behold, it was uh, very good. And uh, so I think it's a great note to end it on. <laughs> Go enjoy God's <laughs> creation, fallen as it is, with the hope that he will renew it uh, one day. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Very cool, man. <laughs>